welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Well, uh, what what are we on, Peter? This is episode four. Oh boy, is this uh, five? Uh, five. Yeah. Five. This is episode five, five week, week five, five of season four. Correct. I I got I'm, it. Yeah. I'm having a hard time uh, keeping track that that we've been doing this this long, but um. And we're in the book of Jonah, going through the minor prophets. Uh, this week, we're in the book of Jonah, which is personally one of my favorite books. I love the book of Jonah, both in, in its uh, kind of prophetic and uh, uh, symbolic kind of kind of looking forward to Christ, but also because I love Jonah because he reminds me of me and kind of like, yeah, I don't want to forgive those guys. And so... Um, I, I like to me it's it's and it's really short so uh and it's got a good veggie tales movie uh associated with it. so it's, it's it's really batting a thousand in my book uh i love uh i love the book of jonah but uh without further ado we're welcoming uh, michael bautersa and we're welcoming laurel Oakey again and uh pastor peter Chernis. thank you again for uh jumping back in I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks so uh so to begin uh thoughts anyone uh want to jump in and just share what stood out or you know one or two things and we'll just go from there well i'll just start by saying that uh boy pastor peter's sermon on sunday on jonah was fantastic <laughs> i mean it just it blew me away personally just uh, i just want to get two thumbs up yeah, so, yeah. Hmm. I, I I did enjoy your, your sermon, and and we had our we had our home church on Sunday night. Uh, Peter wasn't there; he was he was out. But uh, we actually had a really good uh, conversation. I won't say you should skip more often or anything like that. But that was my sermons are always best when I steal liberally from Tim Keller. So yes, that's <laughs> true. True. <laughs> I don't know. I think Peter, if you're going to do that, you might need to shave your head. <laughs> well, I'm getting there. I'm getting closer to that point where, I, yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> How about you, Laurel? Anything stand out uh, to you out of uh, these readings, out of e either Matthew or anywhere in, in Jonah? Yeah. Um, when I was going through the reading from chapter two, his prayer, when he's in the belly of the whale, mm. we talked in my school about like different biblical characters that were a type for Christ. And I don't think we ever touched on Jonah. But when I was like reading through his prayer, there were so many things. I was like, wow, this is a type of Christ. And then you guys kind of accent that with the Friday reading from Matthew. Oh, that was that was really fascinating to read and see in the comparisons. Yeah, I wrote down a little note because uh, I'm and I think I think, Peter, I think you said this in your sermon, but I'd never thought of it this way. Um, Jesus as the new Adam but I never really thought of Jesus as the new Jonah, <laughs> like the Jonah that should have been, or, you know, the, um, that, that was a really interesting perspective too, for me. Yeah. I think I threw that, maybe that was in my podcast. Cause I, I don't know if I hit that. In the, I think I did mention that in the Sunday podcast, but I mean, there's a lot of similarities. I don't think we even touched on. I mean, just the fact that he was in, you know, Jonah was asleep in the boat Jesus was asleep in a boat during a storm. You know, Jesus calmed the storm. Jonah calmed the storm. Uh, even 40 days uh, preaching in Nineveh, Jesus, 40 days in the desert. There's, and of course, the obvious, you know, death and resurrection motif. So 
Uh, lots of similarities to Jonah, but Jonah, you know, Jesus does it right. He's the, he's the, uh, you know, does what Jonah, I guess, should have done. In a... Yeah. How about you, Michael? What, uh, what stood out or what are your thoughts on, on Jonah? Well, you know, I haven't listened to Peter's fantastic sermon from Sunday. So I, I just, I'm speechless. I have no thoughts. <laughs> Just kidding. I, <laughs> um, I know that that's impossible with you. I know you that... just you, I, you preached through Jonah not too long ago, I think, and thrive. Well, that's that is true. Thrive, <laughs> which is the ministry I get to direct, uh, just went through Jonah, and I think one of the things that I have really come to appreciate about this book is just what it says about the grace of God, hmm. and you see the grace of God extended to Jonah. That's one dimension. But then a second dimension is how Jonah struggles so deeply to come to grips with that grace. He's angry at it. <laughs> and I just think it's so interesting that, you know, there's a, in chapter one, a way, uh, a wind that comes to stir up the sea so that Jonah winds up in the belly of the whale. And that's a place where he experiences the grace of God. And then in chapter four, there's a, a wind that comes and destroys the plant. And Jonah has to learn the grace of God all over again, where he's more obsessed with his own creature comforts than the gigantic city of Nineveh that he would love to see destroyed and denied the very grace that God has extended him. And so, you know, even just little details in the text like that, I just find to be so shrewd and, and almost comical. I think there's a lot of humor in the book of Jonah. Um, but for me, yeah, I think just the theme of the, the, the grace of God in those two different ways that Jonah encounters it um, just really grips me. Yeah, I think it's, it's um, probably uh, too close to home that Jonah, I, Jonah struggles with grace, but he really struggles with grace for other people. Right? He's, he's fine with grace towards himself. He just doesn't like grace for others. Yeah. Right? And even his, his, even his grace toward himself, I, I do think it's like he, it's not so much that he feels like grace for himself. I don't think he feels like he needs grace. He's, he, I think he does have that. That's, you know, and I wrote that down too. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's kind of like, I think he, I think he feels entitled and, you know, that he felt entitled to, to the vine, you know, or just to, and, and that's where I really related to Jonah because I feel <clears throat> there's blessing in my life. And I just feel, you know, if I'm really honest, I feel like I'm entitled to this thing. It's not really, um, I don't chalk it up just to God's grace. And, and, uh, um, and when that blessing is gone or things get difficult, I kind of get, you know, you know, pity party and uh, feel I'm complaining like Jonah uh, does. And so, um, so I, boy, I, I totally relate to Jonah so, on all kinds of levels. Is Jonah an, uh, an anti-hero? Or is he a, like, is he an example of what not to do? Solely. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think what yeah. he did well. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I think he is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think uh, maybe it was the Bible Project video. Uh, they had a good overview of it. Really pointing out that Jonah, it's, it's like a satire. I mean, everything, you know, you've got, uh, you've got, you know, the, the powerful, the powerful king humbles himself and, 
and you've got um, you know the sailors, you know, who are these pagan sailors. They're the ones that have a soft heart toward God at the end, and and uh, you know all of these contrasted with with uh, with Jonah, who is really the only one in the entire story that disobeys God. You know, the the vine obeys God, the, the worm obeys God, the storm obeys God, the fish obeys God, even the Ninevites repent and obey God. But uh, Jonah is the one character in the entire book that is disobedient. And I, I think that is, and he's the religious one. He is the pastor. He's the, he's the, the prophet. And so I think you know, that's, that's the point. And, and it's, it's a tough book on, you know, it, it hits Jonah pretty hard. And yet let's think about this. I, th I think he is writing this book because he shares his thought, you know, the thoughts that are given in that vine story, you know, that had to have been Jonah himself. So I think he, I think he turns out okay at the end. He, he somehow comes through this to have reflect, written this reflection on the other side of all of that um, process of being um, broken by the experience. Uh, so uh, it appears that he comes, he comes around at the end. How about you, Laurel? <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to call on you because I, I, I want the recording to go to the cat crawling across your face right there. <laughs> I, I was going to say something. It makes me think of, I was talking to a Christian mentor of mine one time and she was saying how like a lot of Christians know the good news, but she was like, how many know the bad news? How many have experienced the bad news? And I was like, what do you mean by that? And she was kind of saying, and it makes me think of Jonah and your guys' suggestion of like him having a growth moment and like, you know that Jesus came to save you from your sin but when do you recognize the depth of your sin and fallenness and brokenness and i th i kind of see that in jonah like he doesn't like you guys are saying he doesn't grasp the grace for himself or he thinks he doesn't need it and i think maybe part of that or at least looking at i could see him just plain not knowing the bad news hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's like he, when he talks about, um, God, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and, you know, you relent on sending calamity. And, uh, you know, he knows that because he technically knows his Bible. He knows that's who God is. But experientially, he has not experienced the, the about, you know, the grace and love of mercy of God because he, he thinks he doesn't need it. And so I think that's um, and that's where he's coming from when he even says that. That's a good point, Laurel. Yeah. You know, while you're while you're discussing that, I, he, I realize he reminds me a lot of the parable of the rich young ruler. Um, that uh, and, and probably uh, you know, the, I've always identified with that parable as well. It's actually one of those parables that's always bothered me. Um, uh, you know, you know, a youth group or camp or somewhere I was, you know, when I was younger, I was leading. Um, and the take that most pastors that I've heard have, have had on that parable has been, you know, that uh, that the rich young ruler, you know, didn't obey or didn't didn't repent or, or what have you. And it always bothered me because I'm like, it doesn't say that he says he walked away sad. Like I've, I've 
obeyed sadly many times. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do this. And, um, and I think that's probably why I also identify with Jonah, but I'm not, I'm not certain Jonah ever gets it in, in this. Um, and maybe, I mean, I, I, it doesn't say he doesn't, I'm, I'm not saying that he doesn't, but yeah. Well, I'll just, I, because I just said that he must have gotten at the end, I, we don't really know. I mean, it could be yeah. that somebody else wrote Jonah, you know, <laughs> having you know observed his life and, uh, and his, his, you know, could be that he didn't end well. And, and yet his life became a lesson for you know, maybe a, a prophet right after him or contemporary wrote it, wrote the story down. We don't know, really. Um, one other thing that I'm curious on your guys's feedback on I, I was I was reading through the first chapter the Jonah and the sailors um I mean there, there's actually a lot of kind of good points or or things to emulate in there but but I actually think that the jo Jonah and the sailors might be really good examples of two dysfunctional relationships with God uh that you have with Jonah Jonah's the obvious one you know you have the um kind of the complacent entitled um i'm going to disobey without any real fear of consequence like i'm i'm literally going to run away i'm going to sleep during the storm i'm not worried about it you know uh, it it's a big enough storm that everybody else is is freaking out jonah's not freaking out and then and then when he finally cornered, he's like ah it's me throw me into the ocean and I don't know how he said it, but it 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 doesn't sound like he's even worried about that. He it doesn't. I mean, although he is pretty melodramatic, so maybe it's just another time where where he's just like, ah, kill me, you know. Um, but you have kind of the in in my mind, kind of the the complacent, um, entitled Christian in in modern, you know, verbiage. But you also have kind of the uh, uh, the frantic, afraid, um, superstitious, you know, I will. And, and this is, I think, is interesting with the Ninevites as well. But their immediate reaction isn't natural causes. Their immediate re reaction is to ascribe a supernatural power to the events. Right. They, 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 they go there without considering anything else it's like all right this is this is what do, we, what do we need to do and and when he says it's my god it's like okay it's your god you know there's no there's no questioning you know they they prayed to their gods first and when he said no it's mine so they're they immediately um you know accepted that but you know casting things aside they're they're immediately making deals with god and and i have no uh, you know uh judgment on what they do later because i don't know but there's no necessarily like any permanent repentance there. And I think that we get that out of Nineveh as well. Nineveh repents for sure, but we also know Nineveh didn't all of a sudden become a, you know, a God-fearing nation or city or, you know, the Assyrians and become a God-fearing nation. So um, it's, it's the entitled, I'm not worried about God approach. And there's the like, I'm afraid now I avoided the consequence. Good. Go about my life and sail on. Um Anyway, I was curious on you guys' thoughts on that because I hadn't really ever thought in terms of that reading Jonah before. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, observation. You know, it's kind of 
wondered that about the sailors too. I mean, how genuine was their, you know, it, it does seem like they came to a place of, you know, making sacrifices, uh, you know, did they turn to God as the one true God at that point at the end that we don't, I don't, it's, it seems like they're definitely impressed by this God that has made the storm, you know, still by throwing Jonah in. And so there's, there's, there's probably definitely, obviously a God moment, a faith moment, but what, how deep was the repentance? I mean, it does seem to be purely out of fear, uh, which, you know, that's, God uses that. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, sometimes that's what it takes to have us have a, a fearful moment, but it's not really the grace and love and mercy of God that's drawing the Ninevite, that the sailors uh, to himself. And, and, uh, and the Ninevite repentance too. I mean, that really is for me, I mean, I have no problem with Jonah being alive in a fish for three days. I mean, people have a, some people have a problem with that. Did that really happen? I have no problem believing that. I have a hard time believing the Ninevites repentance uh, after, after that, uh, after that, you know, five word, five word sermon in the Hebrew of Jonah. And, uh, um, and you know, skeptical me, I read that, I read, I read with the repentance and how then the king heard that everybody was repenting and how he kind of, you know, like, you know, issued this decree. And I'm just thinking he's political. He, he needs to, he's going to use this to kind of like do something that he needs to happen in his, you know, you know, I, the, the, uh, uh, I question how, how real was that for the king really? Right. Um, and yet uh, I did mention, I think on, or maybe in the podcast, I can remember, maybe it wasn't the sermon. I guess it wasn't the sermon that there was apparently some plagues around the time of Jonah's preaching. A solar eclipse happened recently too. So those could have been uh, part. And then actually, interesting little bit, I was talking to Matt Mysteric after church on Sunday, and he actually has been to Nineveh. And uh, he, you know, after the uh, Gulf War or the second one, um, you know, ISIS controlled Nineveh, northern Iraq, and uh, then it was taken back. And and uh, so Matt was an embedded journalist in mm. in uh, northern Iraq for for a few weeks, and uh, he noted that there is a site. I mean, for Iraq, there's a sizable Christian community in Iraq, and who knows? There may be a small remnant. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of history there, and uh, you know, the, there was a Christian community in that part uh, of the world, but eventually the gospel came <laughs> to that part of the world. And perhaps there was still a faint echo of, of some certain ones who actually did genuinely repent um, and uh, who, who responded to the gospel. So there, when Jesus says the Ninevites are gonna stand up <laughs> with this generation and condemn, uh, condemn uh, his generation for not believing the Messiah, um, future Ninevites, did believe in Messiah, and there's a Christian community there to this day. So, um, doesn't really answer your question, but just that it does. You know, there, there's maybe a mixture of false repentance and true repentance together, and uh, it's a good, good um, discussion. What constitutes true repentance? Well, and I come back to uh, Michael because I think I, I think I came full circle on on you where he said that Jonah struggles with grace, and I said. Yeah, he struggles with grace for others. And, and as I was, you know, my, which is typical, my, my mouth moved faster than my brain. Um, 
what do you guys say is necessary to understand grace or to you know receive grace? Maybe not receive. I don't know. I'm trying to think how to formulate, but but what's necessary for to receive grace or to understand it? Really interesting. You know, I, I think about the story of Jonah and it seems to me like he really learns grace from trauma and pain. You know, he has to get thrown into an ocean, swallowed by a whale, put through probably one of the more challenging and even bizarre ministry calls. And then he, there's this whole ordeal with the plant. And all of those things really hit Jonah where it hits home. And I mean, I, I just, I relate to that. I think of my own life and the things that have always just worked grace more and more deeply into my heart have been areas where I've actually realized I need it. And where have I realized I need it? Well, I realize I need it when life gets hard. <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, you know, just along with that, I, one of the ways in which I find that I need it, this is maybe a kind of, maybe call it spiritual pain, is just when God exposes just the nastiness of your own heart and peels back the layers like an onion and you really see yourself. I mean, I, there, I just remember one moment vividly in college where I just really felt like God just, you know, you know how like they say that an iceberg only, you only see the 10% yeah. at the top and then there's the 90% down below. And I feel like he kind of, let me just, you know, put my head underwater and just for a minute see, oh my gosh, like I'm way more simple I've ever imagined. Um, and I just think of how Jonah, I think is a good example of that where like the last chapter, you know, he, he is all bent out of shape over this tiny little plant, this, this tiny little creature comfort. And he cares about that more than he cares about the eternal fate of 120,000 people. Mm -hmm. And so it's just so interesting to me how sometimes God can use even the littlest things to put his finger on all the areas where we just really, really need him. I feel like some of the acid tests for grace come with just the, the very small ways particularly the small ways that we interact with other people. You know, you may not, you know, go rob a bank tomorrow and then, you know, realize a couple of days later, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. I just robbed a bank. <laughs> but more often in my life, it's just, you know, I, I think back on interactions I've had or ways that I um, have said something, you know, this little things. And I just realized, oh my goodness, like look, look at just how, how messed up my heart was in that interaction. Um, I need grace. <laughs> I think the hard part about recognizing a need for grace is, is that need, the need comes from knowing you don't deserve it. It's not grace if you deserve it. And I think that's the struggle through this, through, through this book is the sailors are trying to figure out what they need to do to get mercy. Right. Even in the belly of the whale, Jonah's saying what he's going to do in order to uh, to get the mercy that God gives him. Um, the Ninevites are doing what is necessary for them to get the mercy. And I think that's the lesson that, that God is, is trying to get across to Jonah when he's saying, you know, you know, how's that anger working for you is, is like, it's not just mercy, it's grace. And it's, it's not, it's not, Jonah's big on justice and mercy. 
you know, and, and the sailors in Nineveh are, 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 you know, on, on fear and repentance, but God keeps coming back to, like you said, this is why I thought it was poignant what you said, Michael, it keeps coming back to grace. It's like, you don't deserve it. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> you know, you literally ran away from me and put all these sailors lives in danger and never said, sorry. <laughs> Well, and you know, just it's striking to me how another way you see grace in the story is the way that the Lord uses Jonah. You know, I don't, I don't think that the Lord just beats us over the head with a stick and says, oh, you're just such a terrible person. You're way worse than you ever thought possible. I mean, that's true. And I think he does help us see that as we live life. But the, the amazing thing about grace is that even though we don't even know one-tenth of one percent of the sinfulness of our own hearts, he still gives us grace. He still gives us things we don't deserve. And I think one of those things is that he can still use us in our sinfulness and in our brokenness, just like you see with Jonah, where Jonah's the guy that God still calls to go preach the sermon that leads to this massive revival. Jonah's the guy who, when he throws himself into the sea, gets to be a picture of Jesus. Yeah. And in the same way that Jonah's sacrifice saves the sailors, Jesus' sacrifice saves us. And, you know, Jonah had no idea, probably, what exactly God was doing in and through his life. And, and yet it's just grace that, that he, he uses him, he uses us. That's really think, good. If you think about it, I mean, you know, Jonah is probably one of the most famous people in all of human history. I mean, isn't Jonah like one of the very few Bible mm -hmm. stories that even, it's just made it into the quote unquote folklore of even our present society. So even those who don't believe the Bible or even know much about the Bible have heard of Jonah and the whale and they could at least uh, you know laugh at the jokes about Jonah and such. But of course I don't know if Jonah would like the way he's famous. <laughs> we focus on all his uh, his faults and stuff. But I'll just back up what Michael said too. There must be something about Bible school and uh, God revealing our own brokenness and sin because that was the same thing for me. I think uh, you know, I had a technical understanding of my sin and brokenness, but it wasn't until going away to Bible school and just making some mistakes and hurting some people in relationships and came to realize, oh my goodness, I am not as good as I thought I was. And coming to that place of experiencing the cross for the first time and depth of our own sin and my own sin. And so, yeah, it's, uh, I think you do. I mean, and, and God's gracious. I think there's, that's not a once and done thing. There's God's repeats that process I think for me and and the older I get the more sinful I realize my heart is it's uh sorry Laurel you got a long way to go but uh <laughs> it doesn't get any better really we just uh, you know what what uh it's it's not what C.S. Lewis talks about uh uh paraphrasing but um you know it's it's not about making us better people but new people yeah. Not nice men, but new men, women. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just all of this conversation about grace is just so, so good. And it, it just makes me think of one of the other things we mentioned in, in Jonah, just the, the role that humor plays. I think there's a lot of humor in the book. And I even think that that is another angle on grace in a way, you know, like, um, yeah, you know, I feel like a lot of times you know, oh my goodness, like when God shows up in your life and he convicts you, 
and yeah, you know, he gives you his grace through that and that's good, but like, it just feels so heavy and so serious. And of course it is. Um, but what I just love is that like the more you come to realize, oh my goodness, I'm just such a mess. And yet God loves me. And you kind of learn to take yourself a little less seriously. And I think it actually gives you a little bit more pep in your step. It leads you to kind of live more lightly rather than, you know, this big, heavy, ponderous person. And you can kind of laugh at yourself. I mean, I think your, your sense of humor actually um, can just get a little more sprightly. And I, and I love that there's, there's humor in this book. You know, if Jonah is the one who wrote it. You can kind of tell that maybe he learned grace just because he's, he's able to make fun of himself. Yeah, yeah I like that. Yeah. Well, I think, and I have, I have often thought that, that especially that, that fourth chapter, it, it reads like a sitcom. It is just like, I should just die. You know, I mean, just, it, it really is funny. Um, the, uh, I'm curious what you think, on, think about this. I was, I was, uh, along the grace topic, I think one of the things that's hard to what what God revealed to me. I remember having a, a very similar um, experience where all of a sudden I got an idea of kind of how despicable I am. Um, but what um, what I realized because I was always basically a good kid, you know. Um, but in a, but that's always a very relative thing, right? I mean, it's always, I'm always a good kid compared to the people that I choose to compare myself with. Um, do, do any of you choose to be around mostly people that are better than you? Well, I mean, I spent a lot of time around Peter, so yes. <laughs> I mean, I just, all of a sudden it kind of hit me that, okay, so I remember, and I, I told this story when I wrote the book, um, but and I, won't, I won't tell the whole story, but I remember going to New York when, in, you know, in the financial industry and meeting with these hedge fund people and realizing how dumb I am and just like, oh my word. You know, it's, it's not just like a, it's not just like a little bit smarter. These people are on a completely different level. I am a, you know, I'm a, I'm a German shepherd in a calculus class. I, I, there, I could sit there the whole time. I'm never going to understand these people. They're, they're so far beyond me. And there are times it's, it's one of the things I've, I've confessed this before as well, where I, I really can't read or listen to Francis Chan because every time I, I listen to him, I think the bar is too high. I, I am not going to meet that bar. Um, and I, I think there's a little bit of comfort. I'm not sure if I choose it. I don't know if it's intentional, but there's, there's a little bit of comfort in being around similarly moral or maybe less moral per people than I am. Because then I feel better about myself. I feel a little more deserving of grace because I don't hang around with Mother Teresa or Francis Chan or, or whatever, because then I'd feel terrible about myself all the time. I, I don't know. It's just, I wonder if, 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 if that is a trap for someone like Jonah as a prophet, he's constantly in a position of confronting other people's sin and you can't help 
but then be tempted by the pride of your own relative goodness. I don't know if any of you guys have, have um, experienced that at all. Never, you know, I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that came to my mind when you're sharing that, I mean, just as it, it's not, it's not apples and oranges or it's, what's, what's is that the right, that's maybe it's not the right motif. But anyway, um, you know, I was thinking about, you know, I was brilliant in high school. I mean, I was so smart in high school, but I went to a, like, a, I, there was 86 people in my graduating class and I was right at the top of it. And then, but then I went to a four-year college, USC, and I found that, oh my goodness, I am very average <laughs> intelligence wise, because now I'm with all these really smart aerospace engineers or whatnot. And so it, 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 there is a comfort, I think, being around people that you can at least feel like, okay, I can measure up with these people at least. Yeah, uh, not feel a little bit superior to a few of them, and so, um, so yeah, I'd say that's definitely human part of our human broken nature, and and, uh, um, but to Michael's point too, you know, I, I do feel like uh, there is a positive side of getting broken and realizing that you don't quite measure up. It's kind of like okay, I don't have to hold up that standard anymore because I've already blown it, and I can't. I don't need to pretend anymore. Because it's that ship sailed, and I can just learn just to be um, be myself and live uh, live under the grace and uh, uh, let God use me as He will. And and so there is real peace and joy there. Uh, but the problem is, it's there. It's so easy to to uh, to fall in the trap of uh, being in that place of brokenness, real experience repentance. I mean, there's freedom, there's joy, and you're just content in the Lord. And then it's not long before you start taking that contentedness and the joy you're experiencing and feeling like you earned that contentedness and joy. And you're doing pretty good now as a Christian. And then you have to experience another phase of the brokenness. One thing that I like to do is I, I call this the backwards game. It's, you know, where you're, you're feeling kind of good about something, maybe even proud about something like, oh my goodness, you know, look, I just, I'm looking in the mirror today and I, you know, wow, look at that beautiful face or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I've never experienced that, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, uh, I probably should use a different example because I mean, look at me, but anyway, <laughs> um, well, you know, it's just like, okay, so let, let's say that's what it is. And you, just, you play the backwards game. You think, well, no, wait a minute. Why, you know, why does my face look the way that it does? You know, well, is because wasn't it you know mom met dad and then I got these genes and my face turned out this way and you know like you, you can just kind of work your way back and realize every single thing I just had no responsibility for yeah. and uh, you know like if you do well in school you know it's like well why don't you know same thing it's like well uh, you know I had parents who were involved in my upbringing and they helped me with my homework and you know, my parents did that because of the way that their parents raised them, you know, all these things, you just go back and back and back. And you just, I just think of the verse in first Corinthians four, where Paul just says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And yeah. it's just a zinger, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute, there's nothing wow. I have that I didn't receive. Yeah. yeah. What do you have that you didn't receive? Sin. The only thing that we can take credit for. I definitely can take credit for it. But you can kind of play that game with, I think there's a, there's probably part of the danger there. You can play that game with Adam and 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 Eve and generational sin and all kinds of things as well. I mean, I think ultimately that's that's the 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 immense beauty of grace is that God steps in and just says, 
I'm just going to, I'm just going to reconcile the whole thing. Let's, let's stop going in circles. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. A little bit more of a theological question. It might be too early to, to jump into this, but it is something, as long as I've got such stellar intellects with the three of you um, on the, uh, on the call, you know, when, you, when you're talking about Isaiah and Isaiah will, will have a messianic kind of prophecy, you know, that doesn't necessarily look like prophecy until, you know, until Jesus fulfills it and then kind of points back to it, you know, writing in on the donkey and things like that. And you're like, oh, hey, look at that. That he fulfilled that and he fulfilled that and fulfilled that. The entire book of Jonah seems to be a, a messianic foreshadowing or I mean, the, the, like you were, you had mentioned a bunch of the things um, earlier, Peter, and and Jesus calls it out like he does with a lot of other things. Where he's, you know, in, in the verses from Matthew where he says the sign of Jonah, but it's even it's even sending Jonah out of the whale to preach to, you know, non-Jews. I mean, it's it is it is a um, it, it is gospel to the gentiles before christ mm -hmm. yeah. it is and so it's it's a it's a really interesting book that way because it's not just a verse here and there it's really it's really the entire book is structured in a like hey this is coming um which has other ramifications of like wow all the events in this are, are really structured around you know fulfilling later um how do you how do you get your head wrapped around that? The, I mean, is it I mean God orchestrating those events so uh, it can work out that way? Does is I mean do you do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it is so almost one to one the Book of Jonah to to Christ. Anyway, I'm I'm just curious yeah. your thoughts there. Yeah. Well, there's so much of the. You're right. Jonah is a dramatic example of it, but it's all that thread is all through Scripture. I mean, you can see in various places of the Old Testament, it's got like leaving these little breadcrumbs, you know, pointing ahead to you know his plan. It's it's uh, you know, it's it's you know, not like God had one plan in the Old Testament. Let's try the law and see if that works. And nope, that didn't work. Let's do Plan B. Jesus and in the uh in the new testament no, it's always it's always jesus has been the plan and you can kind of see that throughout and even just god's heart for the nations i mean going all the way back to genesis chapter 12 uh, god's promise to abraham through you i'm going to bless the nations and and uh already there's that heart of god for all uh, peoples um i mean he uses israel as a case study to show his our you know to to reveal our own um, brokenness and need for Messiah to come. But uh, um, and I think in, in some books of the Bible, it's a little harder to, to find that clear picture of Jesus. But in virtually every book of the Bible, you can there's some kind of clear picture of Christ. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's a huge thing with Jonah, honestly, just the, uh, the, the God's heart for the nations. I mean, that just comes out so clear. And this is 700 years before Jesus would, would come. Uh, another kind of cool little comparison between Jesus and uh, and Jonah and Matt Mysteric, again, uh, we're talking after church on Sunday, he, he, he's brought up this uh, thought. I mean, you know, <laughs> Jonah says to the sailors, throw me in and um, and the, the, the sea will become calm. 
why didn't he just jump in himself? You know, why, why did he ask them to? Yeah. Throw and then did Jesus, did he throw himself in? Uh, and is that another difference of, of Jesus, you know, went to the cross? He was not a victim, um, but he actually intentionally went to the cross. So. But he didn't just crawl up a mountain and die. That's true. Yeah. So right? I, I, I mean, thought he, about that too. Yeah, you're right. Was he he had in? someone had to hang him on the cross. He, you know, as opposed to him like crawling up on there. Himself. Yeah, he didn't commit suicide, did he? For us, so I suppose, yeah. And I think that's that's part of it for me is where where there's a lot of of um, it's almost a difference. Jonah is almost sorry for the analogy. Uh, jo- Jonah is almost like the Chronicles of Narnia to uh, to Tolkien's Lord of the Rings um is that narnia is like like almost like a direct allegory jonah is almost like a direct allegory it's not it's not just thematic and it doesn't have just symbolism in it it's like no this is this this is this you know whereas most of the bible you get the thread and you get the like the the consistency of god and you get the the vision of grace and and uh for for all nations and things like that and then jonah it's like let me just beat you over the head with it if he didn't get it it's i'm putting it right in your face mm-hmm. I, I i just i find it so interesting that it is so clear it's another one of those things it's almost like the passover meal it's it's one of those things that i think Wow, how if you were a if you were a Bible scholar, uh, you know, a, a Torah uh, and prop, prophetic scholar, how did you not see this one? This this is about as like one to one as it gets. I see the similarities too. I see like the like the type for Christ, and I think that's reflected in like all of the book. So, hmm. and Jesus certainly. Yeah, he affirmed that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you you could almost say, are we reading too much into this? But no, Jesus, he said, yep, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, you know, uh, I remember when I was studying in the UK, there was a, a guy who was um, in a similar program, Catholic guy. And uh, one day he just posted this little thing on Facebook. I just thought it was brilliant. The guy's name was Paul Rouse. And he just said, when Jesus eats the fish after the resurrection, in I think Luke 24 when Jesus eats the fish after the resurrection it's a reversal of the sign of Jonah then the son of man was in the fish now the fish is in the son of man (laughs) 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 brilliant connections I had ever ever read there interesting well um I guess anything else uh we've kind of come full circle um back to the beginning of of jonah um and and the fish but uh you know walking through grace and obedience and repentance and um even some thematic and allegorical elements man i my my english teachers would be proud Uh, anything to add before we wrap this up i just had a couple notes that i don't think i threw out in my sermon but i thought were just little interesting things i mean i mean one was that uh you know, I guess Jonah, he basically grew up, he was like three miles from, from Nazareth is where he was from. Oh, and so, so when the Pharisees uh, in, in John 7 or whatever it is, say to Nicodemus, what, you believe Jesus Messiah? Check your Bible. No prophet has ever come from Galilee. Well, they're wrong. 
Jonah came from Galilee. Uh, that's just one kind of interesting uh, tidbit. Wow. And then um, another thing was just that, um, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the message that Jonah preaches, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Hebrew word for overthrown is actually could also mean transformed, basically turned right side up, so to speak. And so uh, in a sense, Jonah was prophecy came true in 40 days. They were they were turned right side up. They were transformed. So just another little kind of interesting. He didn't know it, but he was prophesying something that actually did come about. What's the verses on, you know, the you, you just you triggered that the no prophets come from Galilee. I thought, I thought it was nothing good ever came from, I thought that's what it did. Or is that a translation difference? Cause all, it made me think that um, um, it made me think that like, maybe, maybe that was the perspective that Jonah wasn't anything good. I, uh, I want to say John seven 52 or something like that. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, that's exactly it. I've, I've got it here. It's okay. Yeah, seven fifty-two. Nailed it. Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, it, it, without any additions, uh, I'll do my my auctioneer's call: going once, going twice. Um, then we'll we'll close in prayer. Okay. Dear Lord God, thanks again for your word for your Holy Spirit to help guide us through that word, Lord. Thank you uh, for where, you know, where two or more are gathered, that you are present. And, and even in a, in a virtual remote gathering like this, we know your presence is here. And we thank you for the sign of Jonah. And we thank you for your son. And we thank you for the grace, uh, undeserving grace that we are all recipients of, Lord. God bless us as we go and help us to remain in your will and in your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.